scrolling through your phone might have you worried about the future of the country. But if you put it down for just a second, you may realize that you don't have a whole lot to be worried about. I'm Garrett Carlson. And this is Jared Carlson. And this is the American Ethos. All right, we are back on the American Ethos. What's up, Dad? Hey, son. How are you? Oh, you know, just living the dream. Uh, I was expecting that. Living the dream. <laughs> that's what I always say. It's my go-to. One of my buddies, Helsel, he tells me all the time that it's it's like I have this script, and every time someone asks me a certain question, I just refer back to the script. I think I say living the dream probably five or six times a day. Well, you really are. You know, at least I still think so. I mean, it could be worse. We could be in Uganda or Somalia or something. Or Venezuela or Cuba or, you You know, know, any of those places. Drinking our own sewage and fighting for a few grains of rice and then hoping not to get beheaded. Well, if you listen to the media, that's basically where we're headed. (laughs) Well, yeah. Well, and that's something I and that's something I wanted to like come on and talk about. You know, like if you if you're scrolling through Facebook or Twitter, or you're on Instagram, or you're scrolling through um, CNN, MSNBC, Fox News. I mean, you would think that we are on the verge of a civil war, and you know, some people may think that there may be evidence to to, to show that. But what I want to get at is, if you get out of your phone, you have the ability to actually witness America. Example: Today I was on a drive. I had the dog out with me, and I had to let him out to pee. So I let him out to pee. I get out of the car, and I hear all this screaming, parents cheering, kids yelling back and forth, and you know I didn't know what the hell was going on. So I look up, and there's stadium lights. So I, I follow the stadium lights, and when I get there, and I, and I, I get close to the, to the lights, there's a baseball diamond. And at the baseball diamond, there's a Little League uh, baseball game going on. So I pull over and kind of, you know, chill and hang out for a little bit. And I stayed in my car, obviously, because I don't know any of the kids there. And it'd be weird if this rando dude with his dog got out and started watching the the game. But I get out and I realize that parents and, and kids of all different shapes, sizes, colors, and creeds are just enjoying America's favorite pastime. They're watching their kids play baseball or they're you know, talking to their friends and other parents, and it didn't matter what religion they were, what political ideology were they were, what color they were, they were all just having a conversation and, and enjoying each other's company. And I think if you look at Facebook or Instagram or Twitter, and you see all the divide and all the arguing and all the, the hyperbolic language, you'd think that that doesn't exist anymore. And, and America, which is what I witnessed today, is still alive and well. Yeah, well, you know, Rush touches on that all the time. You know, I either out driving a truck or in a piece of equipment, you know, Monday through Thursday every week, and so I listen to the local guy, uh, the local talk show, and then I listen to Rush, and then I listen to Hannity, and I think Rush has got the greatest pulse. I think he uh, has the best analysis politically and just of the, uh, you know, they use the word ethos, just the American ethos. And you're right. It's, uh, uh, many years ago, I, I, I took a flight from, um, and I forget where I was going and why, but I was flying, and I went across a great swath of the middle part of the country, and it happened to be a Friday night like it is tonight. And you know what I saw? Football fields for as far as you could see. And all of the strife and all of the stuff we see on the news and all of the 
oh, the world's coming to an end. There's an ozone hole. You know, Uganda and Somalia are, are fighting, and the Russians are going to invade the Ukraine or Afghanistan at the time, and the Chinese are doing this stuff off the coast of Hong Kong. And what did I see was Americana, high school football. <laughs> and everybody, and, and you know what? And at that moment, in every one of those little stadiums, that was the most important thing on the planet at the time. And all the local towns, especially, for some reason, I think I was flying over Nebraska and Iowa. And small town Nebraska, small town Iowa, that is the most important thing. Man, the stores close early on a Friday night. Everybody goes. You got your high school booster club. The team comes in from out of town, and they got a fan bus behind them and a line of cars. And all across, you know, the three or four states that I was flying, I could see football fields for as far as I could see out both sides of the plane. So, yes, you're exactly right. And getting geopolitical here, I think that's all the left sells is negativity. Well, and I and I want I want to I want to iterate or I want to I really want to you know hammer home the fact that the majority of the American people are not CNN or MSNBC or Fox News or that that fringe right group or that fringe left group. The majority of the American people are conservatives or liberals or somewhere in between that have disagreements on taxes or how big or how small the government should be, but they aren't people who want to tear down the country. Those people are those people are an extreme minority of cases inside the United States. And if you look at the media, if you look at Fox News or CNN, you'd think that that's it's just alt left versus alt right, and there's all this strife, and there's this we're on the verge of a civil war and rioting and looting, which is going on. But you know, I I live in Jacksonville, Florida, one of the biggest cities. Uh, it actually is square mileage wise the biggest city in the United States, and that stuff doesn't happen here. I mean, Jacksonville, Florida, I was just witnessing a Little League baseball game. And there were people of all shapes and sizes and colors just enjoying the game and talking to each other and laughing. And there were kids playing behind the fences. And I, I witnessed this kid hit a freaking piss rocket over the end of the fence, too. Oh, well, that's what you said. He was kind of a hefty boy come out there. and Yeah, he was that kid that's bigger though. than everyone else and probably been... I mean, he probably had some big league chew in his mouth, you know, the bubble gum, and just hit a <laughs> hit a ding or well, probably you know, ten foot over the end of the fence. About fifteen years before you were born, I used to umpire little league games. It was just like a summer job I got, and I had to take care of the the field and and uh, then umpire the, the games for the Lions Club. They ran the little league in, in the hometown, and and it was always the hefty ones. They come up, and it's the, it was the kids that. Uh, might not be the best athletes, and during school time, you know, they, they, they might have gotten made fun of or whatever, but you put a ball bat in their hand, and they were the ones uh, parking them, hitting dingers or roping <laughs> the doubles, and, uh, yeah, I, I enjoyed it. it. It was fun. I was a terrible umpire, too, because I got caught watching the game all the time. Well, and there's a great clip of a kid from the Little League World Series, and I can't forget the exact clip, so people who are listening, you can correct me, you know, whatever I say that's wrong. But this kid, he, you know, he's like, oh, my name's what, you know, this, but everyone calls me Bubba. And it was, at, you know, that little clip or whatever they play before he goes up to bat. And as soon as he goes to bat, he just hits a freaking rocket over the fence. Probably, I mean, this is a Little League World Series, and this dude's hitting freaking dingers. <laughs> yeah. In the Little League World Series in Omaha? 
I think so. I was thinking it is. I know the College World Series is, but I was thinking maybe the Little League World because they have they have a huge stadium in Omaha just for the College World Series. I don't know if Nebraska plays there or if Creighton plays there too, but it's like they have a whole stadium, and the main thing is is it houses the College World Series. Yeah, and, and bringing like bringing all that stuff back to what we're trying to get at. I mean, they Americans of all different backgrounds and political ideologies can come together and watch a sports game. And that, I mean, that's 99.5% of the, of the American population. I mean, on Friday nights, they watch, they watch Friday uh, night lights. Look at that. uh, I don't mean to interrupt you. I'm sorry. No, you're okay. Look at that electoral map. You have LA and San Francisco and New York city and just a few little blue spots here and, and around the country. And, uh, Trump won over ninety percent of the precincts in the country. The country is center right. Well, I'm, I'm trying to keep it away from the, the I'm, distortion that you get from the uh, uh, population centers and the gerrymandering of Congress. Well, I'm not even talking about that. I'm talking about the fact that people. No, can, but it, yes, but it makes a point that shows you that the country is center right, and so and it correlates all those red, all that red across the electoral map. Has got those uh, football fields lit on a Friday night, or in uh, December, it's got the basketball gyms at the high school lit, and the whole town turns out for the basketball game. I mean, it's the same thing. And every day, everybody gets up, they go to the grain and dryer, they go to the local bank, they go to the Walmart, they go to the grocery store, and they work. And that's all their whole world is about: is putting food on the table, getting their kids through school, having a decent car, preparing for holidays tradition you know you and i talk all the time when i was a kid everything was closed on easter everything was closed on thanksgiving everything was closed on christmas and everybody was home and every sunday even the guy that hadn't been to church since last easter came to church you know there was just some traditions that was just part of being an american well and i don't think that america is gone i think people look at their their media outlets and they get this image of America and Americans as a whole as this just extremely divided country on the verge of killing each other because of different political ideologies. I think, well, again, uh, but that gets political and I, you know, on the majority of the, of the news networks, you've got to have crisis. I mean, Saul Alinsky and Marx themselves both wrote about create a problem and then the government offers the fixation for it, or the fixation, offers the fix for it, and then what does that do? It usurps more liberty. I mean, that's just right out of the Communist Manifesto and rules for radicals. I mean, that's just what they do. You know, look, look and not trying to get too election-oriented politics right now, but, you know, here's Donald Trump. Think what you will of him, but the guy loves the country, and he's talking about hey, I'm going to do everything I can to lift the yoke of government to bring prosperity. We've just had 31% GDP growth, which is uh, double the previous record in the history of the country. Well, that's not we even, the, the, that's, yeah, that's not even the right number. That's not even right the right number. It's we, 35%. Yeah, I thought that they, I thought they, they, sent, they, they uh, um, agreed upon 31. But yeah, I've seen as high, it, it was looking at as high as 35%. But Regardless, 
And then look at the other side. It's just doom and gloom and the dark winter and coronavirus is going to kill another 500,000 people and on and on and on. It's like, gee, is there anything good? And then, you know, and then we're going to tax the evil rich, you know, because they made the money on your back and we're going to tax them and we're going to pound them down and we're going to make them pay. I mean, how many times have you heard somebody on the other side make them pay? You know, it's all negative. Well, and it's and all then, negative, and they have to report on something. And, and that's where, you know, and you and I have had these conversations, you know, not recorded, and just when you and I are talking on the phone, where social media, you know, Facebook and, and Twitter, and then the 24-hour news cycle is what is exacerbating this so-called divide among the American public. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I know. I was going to say that. Yeah, when, you know, CNN was the first one back, I don't know, it was just before the Gulf War, as I recall. You know, and it was 24-hour news. And so, and, and that's how you get, you know, and I'm not making light of anything, but a holdup in uh, Frog Jump, Tennessee, real town, by the way, a holdup in Frog Jump, Tennessee, two people get shot, one dies, uh, shoot out with the cops. Uh, I mean, why would we ever hear about that any other time? But all of a sudden, you know, they're watching the AP wires or whatever, and it's like, oh, hey. Down in Frog Jump, this happened. I mean, you know, small town happened, whatever. Uh, you know, small town sheriff's department chases the guy down, catches him, whatever happened. Next thing you know, it's, it's national news. Yeah, and this is go- this is kind of going down a rabbit hole now. But when these when these social media sites and these these um, news these mainstream news outlets cover the stories, it then creates people who want to get that kind of attention on social media or on. TV, right. so they go right. out and commit the same exact thing. I mean, that's what um, right. that's what the oh, it wasn't Columbine. There was I, I can't remember what shooting it was, but the guys basically worshipped the shooters from Columbine, and they had pictures of them in their house. Or I may be thinking of the actual shooters from Columbine. I can't remember, but basically, social media and 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 news outlets created these radicals out of the attention they gave the previous criminal or pr- previous mass shooters. That might have been the one up there, Sandy Hook. For some reason, I think that kid kind of had a. And, and uh, now I'm just guessing. I, I've certainly. Yeah, I can't remember. I can't remember the exact thing. Popped in my mind, so I don't know. But. But uh, one of the worst. Was, and let me just say this on my point before: when I was a kid, the hometown newspaper. Yeah, you got an AP thing, and it just basically talked about whatever. Uh, you know, anything big. But then everything else in the newspaper was all about your hometown. Why do you think newspapers are collapsing on a day-by-day basis? They don't talk about, and I mean, I'm talking about that little league ball game where, you know, little uh, Sam Smith was, you know, went two for three and had a home run and uh, knocked in four runs. And no one seems to care about that anymore. I mean, that was the first thing I did on Saturday morning after a football game in high school was ran downtown and got the paper, see if I got my picture in it. Well, the the mainstream the mainstream media has has created a monopoly on what's important in the country, and no one cares anymore about the you know little Sammy Sosa or whatever who hit four dingers in a little league baseball game because everyone cares about you know Trump paying off a porn star or Joe Biden's dirtbag son snorting coke off strippers' asses in in Ukraine. I mean that is a monopoly on news, and and people just don't care anymore. Well, yeah, but that, you know, that kind of stuff goes back, you know, back when I, I wasn't even born yet when Kennedy was president, but I mean, you know, 
rumor has it, and pretty established rumor has it, that John Kennedy had, you know, some, you know, love interest outside of his marriage. But the news took that as, you know, this ain't going to help the country. Uh, I mean, it wasn't even kind of like, it wasn't even a political thing. It was just like, this isn't going to help the country. So, I don't know if they suppressed it. They just ignored it. No, Today, I have I have a better instance of the news suppressing something that would that would hurt America, and that is the news outlets actively suppressing the idea that FDR was in a wheelchair. Do you think? You know, perfect. Do yeah. you do yeah, you think a president example. could serve the United States in a wheelchair in 2020 and not be found out the, the I mean the second that it came out? I mean it'd be national news. Yeah. Well, yeah, we knew before Trump knew that he had COVID. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, but the point I'm trying—the point I'm trying to get with these social media outlets—is these echo chambers that have been created by the the specific algorithms on Facebook. And this is something I've talked to you about that I haven't really explained. I mean, so for those of you who don't know, which you and I do, echo chambers is basically whenever you spout off an opinion in whatever group you're in or whenever uh, room you're talking, and everyone basically just agrees with you. So hey, I'm voting for Trump. Oh, me too. I love Trump. Blah blah blah. It's an echo chamber. Facebook based off of its algorithms, monitors what you click on, monitors what you look at, monitors how long you look at a picture for, how long you read an article. And what it does is it keeps sending you the same exact articles and the same exact, the the stuff that fits your interest to get you to open the app. So what does that turn into? It turns into a bunch of liberals getting nothing but liberal material and a bunch of conservatives getting nothing but conservative material. So me, when I post something on my conservative podcast page, Liberals are not getting that information. Would I like them to? Absolutely. I'd like to bring in... Oh, I just knocked over a can. I'd like to bring in an open dialogue. But because they never click on conservative websites, they never get those differing opinions. And it's the same thing with conservatives and liberal opinions. So these echo chambers have created some of the... I mean, the, the echo chambers are what is creating all of the, the division in the United States. And, I mean, your Facebook's probably the same way. Yeah, well, and I think more importantly, too, is the crossover when on the very few people out there that kind of have, you know, um, old experience on both sides, conservative stuff doesn't get routed through them. You know, so your friend that's not, well, it gets, you know, your grandmother who gets on there just so she can see the grandkids and, and the, the great-grandkids and what have you, who's not very political, she doesn't get anything from you. After a while, it just starts not coming. But you can bet that on the other side of the family that's got some liberals over there, you know, if they post something regarding Hillary or, I don't know, AOC or Biden or whatever, she'll see that. But after a while, she won't see your your pro-Trump, pro-Republican candidate here, pro-conservative you know, conservative or constitutional you know, pro any Tony Barrett, anything like that. You know, eventually over time, they don't see the stuff that that uh, it, it gets algorithmed out. That any kind of conservative stuff. So they're just inundated, and they're inundated with climate change, and they're inundated with everybody hates Trump, and they're inundated with you know any Tony Barrett's gonna you know take away women's health care and blah 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 and well and that I goes mean, that goes that more to the fact happening. yeah that goes more to the fact that facebook biases the algorithms i'm just talking about the algorithms right. in and of itself that basically force right. people and into so these it just echo chambers separated everybody you got the conservative side over here you got the uh, 
liberal side over here. You got the baseball side over there. The football side, yeah, oh yeah, it does. It, it does it for everything. Yeah, my Facebook but feed is nothing but Chicago Bears, conservative websites, and the NFL. That's all my Facebook is. And I'm sure yours yeah. is probably the same exact way. Well, I guess you don't have Facebook anymore, but. Well, yeah, I'm deactivated. It's just, and you know, and I just recently got suspended from Twitter, and I'm not exactly sure why. Well, Twitter, Twitter is its own animal. Um, I forget, yeah. the, I forget the and dude's it's name. Very, it's probably worse than Facebook. Oh, it's 100% worse than Facebook. I forget the dude's name uh, that just testified in front of Congress because of the because of Twitter censoring the New York Post article about Hunter Biden. Do you remember his name? Right. Oh, I'm sitting here trying to remember. No. No, so I mean, I saw. You know what? I was so inundated with him and just like blocked him out. I knew Ted Cruz, you know, chewed him a new one, but so did Mike Lee, so did uh, Rand, and even a couple of the more non-lunatic lefties kind of got on him too. And uh, I mean, he just, and, and, you know, he looked like the Unabomber for crying out loud. This yeah, he like did. I did not expect him to look like that. He had the nose ring and the, the long beard. So here's here's a conversation we can have. There's there's a big divide among conservatives right now to what role does the government play in keeping the bias away from social media. So, you know, conservatives are big about pri- the, the rights of private business owners, right? So the right of the, the Christian baker to refuse service or to refuse to bake a cake for a gay wedding. That's his right as a private business owner. Is it not the right of Twitter to censor things that they don't want on their platform? Well, the argument, yes, uh, you know, the uh, libertarian or the constructionist in me or whatever would say, yeah, we go on there knowing. And that was his argument. But Cruz and them pointed out that you said this was a place for a free exchange of ideas. And, of course, the guy's reply was, you know, did you read the bylaws? And so, but that's where... You know, and I'm not about Congress doing anything, you know, other than I do think that these algorithms, I mean, because this is getting pretty 1984-ish. This is getting, um, technology is way beyond our capability at this point. And I mean that in the sense that, you know, the technology understands general human behavior and can manipulate that behavior because of, of what it can do and how it can well and, uh, and understands um, it better than we do i think the people that created these algorithms didn't really realize what they were doing until they started well, biasing think, the algorithm yeah i think at first it was all about advertisement and then someone you know i don't know then the politics started coming into it and yeah and that's a, that's the thing it's like i just i just have a real problem with it you know i don't have a problem if you're a liberal if you're an economic liberal, I think you're dumb. If you're a social liberal, I don't care. I mean, that's really how I feel. And because a lot of the social issues are a matter of opinion. I draw the line at abortion, and I draw the line at some of the crazy, um, and I I hate to use their monikers, but some of the crazy LGBTQ, I don't even know what it is, LGBTQ stuff. Because... Well- Go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, because, you know, they're supposedly the science lovers. So don't go into a bunch of children in second grade and start talking about, you know, especially the drag queen readings and stuff that some of the cities have had. It's like, really? 
Well, and that's you that, know, that's and along the lines of the stuff that, I've been. If you if you kids were still little, and someone did, I mean, I would be catatonic. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'd, I I'd go nuclear. The, uh, and, and I would be at the school board meeting. It's like I don't care about this person. They can live any way they want, but I don't want them sitting there reading to my kids and then telling them how. You know, the fact that you can be anything you want, including, you know, Garrett, you can be a girl if you want. I mean, that's not true. And it it, it screws things up and it twists the logic and the learning of a child. And, and I mean, it's just not healthy. And there's no, there's no evidence anywhere else, anywhere that that, that there's anything healthy about any of that. Well, and this goes back to my original point. You know, if you look at like if you look at some of the conservative articles that have come out about stuff like that, you know, trannies reading storybooks to kids and and exposing their tranny wieners to to the children in libraries and stuff like that. That's such oh, a I've never heard of that. Oh, yeah, there was I think it was in I think it was actually in a library in Hennepin County that a uh, it was either a transgender or a crossdresser um, was wearing a skirt and he wasn't wearing any pants underneath it, so of course his dong was hanging out for all these kids to look at. And uh, I think that was actually the Hennepin County librarian. We I asked. Yeah, I, we should. Um, but that goes that goes back to my original point. You know, that stuff is not happening all over the country. That stuff is happening in these fringe areas like Minnesota or like the Twin Cities in Hennepin County, or like San Francisco, or like New York City. But that's not happening in the majority of places around the country. So you get all these conservatives well, up in yeah, arms. And... But it's heading there because, you know, Nicole's already talking, your sister's already talking about the stuff that's being brought in. I mean, and they live in a town of 3,000. You know, they live in an Iowa farm town of 3,000. And it's already just, it, 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 it's just, it's like an infestation. And it just, you know, you try to do that with Bible studies? Have a church come in and say, hey, we want to teach Bible studies. Oh, my gosh. I mean... Uh, they would go catatonic, but I mean that's what I that, that's what I don't understand, and I don't know how to step up and speak out against it. And um, well, you so, step out. Everything and... traditional norms is being thrown out the window, and every perversion, and you know that hell they can go in there and talk about Islam all they want. You know, I don't know if they talk about the lopping off heads and hands and. Gouging eyes out, but, or the terrorist attacks that just took place the, in France. The four-year-old wives and stuff like that. But you can go in and talk about Islam all you want, but you want to go in and just simply and, and simply talk about the Bible and some just you know I don't know Samson and Delilah or Noah and the Ark and whatever just generic Bible stories. Oh, you can't do that. Separation church state. You know what's funny is going along like the religion and freedom of religion is freedom from it and stuff like that. This leftism that, you know, a very fringe amount of people are subscribing to and it's, it's getting more and more every day. This leftism in and of itself is a religion. And that's why they oh, get that's why they get so upset when someone like Amy Coney Barrett replaces Ruth Bader Ginsburg on the on the Supreme Court, because Ruth Bader Ginsburg is the golden calf for the left. They worship you know, at the I altar. To, I want to put this to, to bed right here. I don't know how many people will, will hear us. I have no ill will. To, I mean, Ruth Ginsburg was not the person I would want. And the issues that are important to me, she would have voted against. You know, mostly, you know, gun and just individual liberty thing. 
But she really did not much of anything. No, she was. I mean, she was just. She, you know, she was just a vote. She was an she empty never, vote. And there was no pioneering other than the. I mean, she was what the the second or third female. I mean, uh, Sandra Day O'Connor was the first woman justice. You know, and I'm not demeaning RBG at all. I mean, but she was just nothing but a consistent left of center vote on the Supreme Court. I've read several of her uh, opinions. They're well thought of. I disagreed with them. They're well thought of. She was a decent jurist, I guess. But she was an ACLU lawyer. That's why she. That's why Clinton picked her. I think it was Clinton. Well, Ruth Bader Ginsburg didn't have any mass decision or massive decisions where she was. You know, she her legacy is nothing. The only legacy she has is the fact that she was Ruth Bader Ginsburg and she was a, she was a wild leftist. I mean, that's the only legacy she has. Well, I don't even say she was wild. I mean, she was wild in the sense when she went off to the schools or whatever and did a commencement, she did a little bit. The ACLU uh, RBG came out. But on the court, she was just, you know, kind of um, halfway between left of center and full-on Chairman Mao. See, I don't but, agree with that based off some of her uh, some of her decisions I, I've seen and some of the, the speeches she's made. I mean, I I think she was a idiot leftist. Well, she may have been, but I think she tried. I mean, and I'm like I said, I just I think she's unremarkable. I mean, and that's the point. I mean, they made it out like she has been. She was such a, uh, a trendsetter, and she defended women. And this, you're going to see more intellect an academic acumen from Barrett than you are any of those others. Sotomayor has, Sotomayor has been kind of a lukewarm leftist too. Kagan's the one that's, and I've read a couple of her opinions and it's just like, you know, you have a law degree. (laughs) Well, the thing is with these leftist judges is when, when a Democrat appoints a judge to the court, they're batting a thousand because these, these Democrat judges always, they they vote or you know they rule on the side of Democrats. So even if it you know the, what what's the duty of the Supreme Court? It's to um, decide on whether or not a law is you know a law is constitutional. That's only that's only what the Supreme Court is is supposed to do. The yeah. legislative branch creates the laws. The executive branch executes the laws, and the judi- the judicial branch is supposed to rule on whether or not that law is constitutional. And under the original intent. If uh, the Supreme Court ruled it was unconstitutional, both the Senate or um, both the legislative and the executive branch got to agree or disagree. But now the court has so much power, and of course, with Democrats batting a thousand, I mean, when when you have a Democrat majority, they are actually legislating from the bench. They're creating policy from the bench. Example A: Roe Ro v. Wade. That is a completely unconstitutional decision that has no basis in constitutional law. And no right. one challenge. No one challenged the Supreme Court on it. Uh, example well, number- Roe is example B. I would say Marbury versus Madison is example A, where the court basically stepped up and said, "You know what? We'll decide." You know, because yes, this Constitution is old and and nothing's changed, and we'll decide how it applies today. That wasn't the means either. Article Five was written so that a Constitution could be adapted as times change as. You know, I don't know, the economic back, you know, one time corn farmers were the economic background of the, uh, backbone of the country. Now it's 
it's energy and technology, you know, so, so laws are going to change based on, on a thousand factors. The Marbury versus Madison is where the court stepped up and gave itself power, gave itself political power. Well, I, and I would like to see someone bring that towards the court and try to overturn the, the idea of Marbury versus Madison and, uh, place the court back and looking at the enumerated powers and then looking at a law in that respect. Well, and you can go back, you can go back even earlier in Marbury versus Madison and the Dred Scott decision. I mean, that was, that was a completely anti-constitutional and, I mean, anti-constitutional, anti-constitutional and anti-founding, uh, decision you could ever, ever make. Oh, Garrett, I think I have to disagree with you on that one. That was the perfect example of the court saying, look, we abhor slavery, but the laws of the country are as they are, and we don't have the authority to overturn state law, and this is, and, and as much as we hate slavery, this is a private property issue, and so we have to rule in this respect that, yes, the guy is entitled to his property. That's, and that, there my son goes, what you were taught in school today about Oh, yeah, well, Dred Scott, yeah, you want to go back to the days of Dred Scott? And it's like, well, yeah, I do. I do want to go back to the days of Dred Scott because the court set the state laws above the federal laws. And even though we abhor that particular law, the court stepped back and said, we don't have the authority here. Because, you know, Dred Scott was, Dred Scott was saying, hey, slavery's not legal here in, was it Utah? I don't remember. But I'm I'm going to I'm going to to disagree with you wholeheartedly on this on this subject. We're going to talk about this for a little bit. <laughs> well, well, then you have to read Tunney's decision because that's basically what he said. He said, you know, as of this point, the law doesn't protect Dred Scott, and he is property. And even though we abhor the idea of that, Congress needs to step in and change the law, or amend the Constitution, or the states need to change the law. So Dred Scott was property however the, and, and at the oh, hey i know where you're gonna go i mean i but the point is is that at that time slaves were second-class citizens and they weren't you know i mean this goes way back we could talk for hours on this because slavery almost unraveled the the founding of the country yeah i mean, I mean I we, we can go, go into that but i want to make my point before time. you before we go down this this rabbit hole the, the Supreme this Court... This a rabbit hole. Well, no, because we can... I mean, we're, we're supposed to be talking about social media, and here we are talking about the Dred Scott decision. But um, the, 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 the Supreme Court has a constitutionally mandated duty to apply the law equally to all American citizens. And at that time, Dred Scott was technically an American citizen. What does the Constitution at mandate? At that time, Dred Scott was not an American citizen. He was a slave. He was property. He was not an American citizen until the 14th and 13th Amendment. Abhorrent is, I'm not defending it, I'm just telling you. And that's where, you know, Justice Tooney, who wrote the decision for Dred Scott, pointed all that out. But it was contrary to the founding doctrine that all men are created equal with unalienable rights. Well, at the time of the founding doctrine, you're right. You had the abolitionists, you had the Federalists and the Anti-Federalists. And it almost torpedoed the whole founding. And basically what the founders, because 
slavery wasn't a race thing. No, slavery was slavery an economic, was an economic thing. thing. Yeah. And the slaves were sold to us by other black folk. I mean, I'm so sick and tired of everything being race. Okay, yes. Uh, did, I don't know, Joe Bob in the Deep South think that the, uh, the folks that worked for him uh, without rights were as good as him? No. Abraham Lincoln didn't either. I got a whole book here. Thomas DiLorenzo cited quote after quote. Lincoln didn't think the black man was as good as the white man. That's an established fact. And in numerous of Lincoln-Douglas-Stephen Douglas debates, they both argued over who hated the black man worse. It was politics. Lincoln sat there and, and, and he embraced the abolitionists because it thought it would help him get um, elected. And there was three candidates at the time. Lincoln only won like 38 or 42 percent of the vote, something like that. So uh, a lot of folks didn't think the black folk were as good as us. We, however, have come to learn that, you know what? The very basic premise of us as Americans is to protect the sovereign liberty, liberty of the individual. And after the 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendments, black people were, you know, the black folk that were here living that once were slaves and were newly freed, now they have the same rights as we do, and they are citizens. Yes. Now, before and we go we on... Supposed, and we were supposed... And I'm talking 1860s. Yeah. Before we go on, though, I want to clarify. I want to clarify for the listeners. He, what you're saying is that the Dred Scott decision was a good decision because it was the Supreme Court ruling based off of the the laws of the Constitution at that time. You are not saying that it is the correct ruling. The Supreme Court said we don't have the authority here yes but you, what you are not saying specifically no of course not I well mean, i want to make sure and be a racist. i know but i want to put it out there for the people listening what you are not saying is that the dred scott decision was a good decision because he was black and because this was a race thing what you're saying I is don't think, i don't think it was about that at all i know i'm clarifying for the people listening because you know the, the <laughs> stuff the stuff i put out i don't want it to be taken out of context I want them. Well, all they have to do is listen to what I'm saying. Yeah, but you, we all know that that doesn't happen. <laughs> well, but we can't change that. And you can sit there and placate those people that are going to say, that Garrett Carlson dad's a racist. And it's like anybody that listens to it with an open ear will hear that I'm advocating on behalf of the sovereign liberty of the individual. And I'm telling you, and all they have to do is read Tooney's decision himself, and he goes through all of it, that... The, this is not a slavery issue, and as abhorrent as slavery is to this court, we don't have the authority to overstep state law. And at the time, Dred Scott was private property, and I'm going to say Georgia. Well, first it was Utah. Uh, so. <laughs> well, yeah, but he, he's, he'd escaped to Utah, and he applied for clemency in Utah, and then his owner in Georgia or wherever he came from said, that's my property. Okay. And Utah wouldn't fork him over. And so it went all the way to the U S Supreme court. So wouldn't the U S how, okay. So Utah was, a, was a, was a free state. Georgia was not. So if the Supreme court ruling that Dred Scott was property, how could they mandate that Utah give or send him back to Georgia? They just said he's entitled to his property and property it's just like uh, contract law. 
property rights, you know, um, the very basic premise of liberty is private property. And that's from the, that's the standpoint, because you know what, and, and, and the framers talk about that in the debate minutes was the essence of liberty is private property. And that includes thought, freedom of thought, action, things like that, but and labor, your labor. Well, yeah, the pursuit of happiness, the pursuit of happiness refers to the ability to obtain property. That's basically what the pursuit right. of happiness is. Right. But, uh, you know, because, you know, King George, everything, everything as a Brit, everything you owned was King George's. And even the 13 colonies. All that was King George's. And so the court was very, at that particular time, the attitudes in the court was very, uh, very uh, hesitant to ever step in and, and overstep private property rights. Okay, so to clarify even and further, so what you're went, saying is that right. the 13th and, and 14th court, Amendment... You know, it's like, okay, so here's, here's what we have here. And the guy made uh, Dred Scott's owner said, look, this is my property. I paid for him. And Utah said, well, you know he's free here and we're not going to give him back slavery. And so the court stepped in and said, well, this slave Dred Scott was deeded to, however, whether he was born to the guy or whether he was, you know, purchased, he was his private property. You know, and this sounds horrible and I'm not equating it, but it was just like a goat, you know, or a steer. I mean, that was his guy's property. Okay. So to clarify further, what you're saying is, if the if the thirteenth and fourteenth amendment, I know, I just, I mean, I'm, I mean, we're getting into some dicey territory, so I want, I want to really clarify. Well, nothing dicey about it at all. It's actual U.S. history. I know, but and if I know, the thirteenth, sorry, son, and I know, but that's <laughs> the problem with today is that we're so worried about what we say. I'm simply telling you American history. I'm and not I'm telling you straight from the court decision that Justice Tooney wrote. Well, and I'm not, so, you know, I'm not, I'm not scared of what you're saying. I'm trying to clarify so people understand it better. If the 13th and 14th Amendment had been in place during the Dred Scott decision, there, I mean, obviously the Dred Scott decision would have gone the other way. However, under, well, it wouldn't even have gone to court. Had the 13th and 14th and 15th Amendments been ratified, then he wasn't private property anymore. Slavery was abolished under the 13th Amendment after Lincoln was killed. Notice. Lincoln never freed a single slave. That's another misnomer no, of we... American history that we're taught in schools, <laughs> including the four northern states that had slavery throughout the duration of the Civil War, but we can talk about that later. Okay, well, I mean, that was a great conversation about the Dred Scott decision. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's just, I, and I didn't know it either. I mean, this has just been on, on behalf of my 25 years of just personal research and i mean and i don't know how many times i put the book down or i was online at the, in the library of congress and i was reading through either i don't know uh, debate minutes in a state legislature or uh lincoln talking to his war department about how he was going to justify starting the civil war uh, you know dred scott reading the dred scott um you know brown versus board of education i mean you read those and there's so many Airfingers quote constitutional experts we see on Fox and we see on MS, uh, NBC and CNN. And, uh, and, and I know maybe my academic pedigree doesn't live up to some of the, uh, you know, where that some liberal would, uh, you know, uh, I don't know, give me any props or even listen to me. They just glaze over and say, well, who are you? You know, are you smarter than, I'll give you a perfect example. Antonin Scalia. I mean, 98% of everything he voted 
on and his opinions he wrote, I agree with 100%. He missed the boat on the Heller decision. The Second Amendment forbid the federal government from having any authority over arms ownership of the individual. I mean, it just did. That's the history. But even Scalia wrote, yes, uh, the Second Amendment protects the individual's right, but there's room for regulation. That's not true, not from the federal level. It's not true at all. The framers didn't intend that. There's nowhere in there. And as a matter of fact, um, well, as a matter of fact, the Constitution itself and the Bill of Rights wouldn't have been ratified if that would have been, I mean, that was the thing. The anti-federalists just weren't going to budge. You know, they just weren't. You know, Virginia especially. Virginia was not going to cede any authority from its governor and its state legislature. Just wasn't going to do it. But they, but they saw the, the betterment for um, foreign commerce. They found the betterment uh, for in the event of emergencies. You know, at that time, you know, at that time, towns burnt down, you know, once in a while or, you know, hurricanes and, and floods and stuff like that. And, and for military. But they didn't want a standing military. You know, at the time, that's where the militia came in, the Second Amendment. Basically, the, the, the militia clause was an affirmation of what already existed prior to the existence of the United States. Just to, just to kind of correct some of the things we've said that's wrong, it was Illinois and Missouri. What was Illinois and Missouri? So he was in Illinois, which was a free state part of the Wisconsin Territory, and Missouri is where the lawsuit was filed. Dred Scott? Yeah, I'm reading it right now. Why did I think he was in Utah? I don't know. In April, is Utah anywhere in there? I don't know. This is on the history. This is on history.com. In April, in April of 1846, Dredd and Harriet filed separate lawsuits for freedom in the St. Louis uh, Circuit Court against Irene Emerson, based on two uh, Missouri statutes. One statute allowed any person of color to sue for wrongful enslavement. The other stated that any person taken to a free territory automatically became free and could not be re-enslaved upon returning to a slave state. Neither Dredd nor Harriet Scott could read or write, and they both needed logistical and financial support to plead their case. Um, Since Dredd and Harriet Scott had lived in Illinois and the Wisconsin Territory, both free domains, they hoped they had a a persuasive case. When they went to trial on June 30th, 1847, however, the court ruled against them on a technicality, and the judge granted a retrial. So it was Missouri and Illinois. I'll be darned. Why did I think... Did he make it to Utah or something? <laughs> what? No. no For it just, some it, reason, it was in, in, of course, I'm getting senile too, son. What? You are about 68 now. <laughs> What'd you say? I said you are about 68 now. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not anywhere close to that. Well, I'm closer than I was 10 years ago. Okay, well, hey, that's, you know, that's good. And I, it's been a while since I've looked at it, but... Uh, I, for whatever, why did I think it was, it's not important, but yeah. Well, he started I, I, in Alabama. Thinking that he had gone west, and he was out of one of the southern states. Yeah, uh, so Dred Scott was born in slavery around 1799 in Southampton County, Virginia. In 1818, he moved, the, moved with his owner, Peter Blow, to Alabama. Then in 1830, he moved to St. Louis, Missouri, both slave states, where Peter ran a boarding house. After Blow died in 1832, Army surgeon Dr. John Emerson purchased Scott and eventually took him to Illinois, a free state, and then to Fort Snelling in Wisconsin Territory, where the Missouri Compromise had outlawed slavery. 
There, Scott married Harriet Robinson, also enslaved in a rare civil ceremony. Her owner transferred ownership of Harriet to Emerson. So it, it, it yeah, it had nothing to do with Utah. Great job, Dad. <laughs> but you had you to, while you're there, why don't you read Tooney's uh, uh, decision? All right. I mean, if we want to go there, we were talking about. Uh, you keep calling him Tooney, it's Taney. So, um, Rod, uh, Rod, well, my senility is really, is really <laughs> up with me. Roger Taney was born in a Southern uh, aristocracy and became the fifth chief justice of the United States Supreme Court. Taney became best known for writing the final majority opinion in Dred Scott versus Stanford, which said that all people of African descent, free or enslaved, were not United citizens and therefore had no right to sue in federal court. In addition, he wrote that the Fifth Amendment protected slave owner rights because enslaved workers were their legal property. The decision also argued that the Missouri Compromise legislation, passed to balance the power between slave and non-slave states, was unconstitutional. In effect, this meant that Congress had no power to prevent the spread of slavery. Despite Taney's long tenure as a Supreme Court justice, people vilified him for his role in Dred Scott v. Stanford decision. In an ironic historical footnote, Taney would later swear in he would later swear in Abraham Lincoln, the great emancipator, as president of the United States in 1861. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the sources are the Missouri and State you know Archives. And, you know, and just maybe to make the uh, people that think I'm, uh, you know, I'm uh, David Duke now, I mean, it could have been political then. I mean, there was just as much politics, and maybe they used that as a, hey, this is a private property issue. Maybe they, you know, maybe they used that as a, just not to wade into the political waters of slavery. I don't know. But I knew that it was a private property thing and not a race thing and not a slave thing and not a, a you know, it just, it, it, it was, it was a law thing. And it was, con and, he, and you just read right there where Congress didn't have the authority to overthrow state law. And that's one of my biggest problems with, you know, after the, after the Civil War, the federal government became a national government and started dictating to the states. Okay, so compare, so now you, you see the Dred Scott decision based off legality and the constitutionality of that time was technically mm -hmm. constitutionally correct. Now compare it to um, verdicts like the Roe v. Wade verdict or the, um, oh God, I can't remember, uh, the, the gay marriage verdict. Yeah, well, you know what, I... Uh... I agreed with the gay marriage verdict, but I agreed on the premise that law should have not. And marriage is a sacrament of of religion. So, I mean, I said this. I said this twenty five, thirty years ago, before I was even really as opinionated and as right wing as I am now. It's like, well, who? Why do I have to get a man? Well, you know, when your mom and I got married, it's like, why do I have to get a license? You know, well, it's a money thing, 15 bucks, you know, at the time. You had a marriage license. You had to go there. And, oh, and, you know, at the time, we had to get syphilis tests. <laughs> I don't know if you knew that or not. I didn't know It was that. mandated by the state to get syphilis tests. But, uh, and you know what, probably not a bad idea, but, you know, that would have been something that's like, hey, before you get married, you know, rather than making law. But, you know, and... and they have traced, and, and who's they, I don't know. This is something I have not verified. But I, as I understand, marriage became a state 
sanctioned event because of um, not wanting mixed marriages. It's Obergefell versus uh, Hodges. Was the gay marriage thing? Mm-hmm. Yeah, see, I never, because my thought from the beginning was, who is the, who is the, the government to tell? Uh, my only thing was, and it's a semantic thing, but it's like, you know, there's millions of really good people out there that think marriage is a sacrament. And I, I fully supported civil unions or, or make up another word or whatever. I had no problem with a, a gay couple getting together and pledging themselves to each other and doing whatever, you know, having a family. I mean, I don't even have an issue with a, a gay couple having children. I mean, I really don't. Well, I don't either. There's too many you kids know? in foster care to say, oh, well, just because it's a man and a man and a woman and a woman, you can't raise a kid. I think, you know, if, if we're as pro-choice or if we're as pro-life as we are, we should definitely um, support gay couples adopting kids. Sure, sure. But I just, I just had, a, you know, and it was in my gut. It wasn't really something that I lost sleep over. Um, I just hated the militant uh, homosexual community coming out and calling me a hater and calling me this and calling me that because, and I'd say me as in collectively, as in, you know, more conservative traditional America. Mm-hmm. I just, I just had, well, it's like, I, you know, I have a real good friend, right? Lives right there in Jacksonville with you. Gay man. He's a great guy. He's my friend. I love him. He's a good there, guy. There's the, and, there's the, I don't hate gay I, people. I have gay friends. <laughs> well, with <laughs> I hate I hate that too. I, well, I think that's dishonest. So here here's what here's the facts of the case from the um, groups of same sex couples sued their relevant state agencies in Ohio, Michigan, Kentucky, and Tennessee to challenge the constitutionality of those states' bans on same sex marriage or refusal to recognize legal same sex marriages that occurred in jurisdictions that provided for such marriages. The plaintiffs in each case argued that the state statutes violated the Equal Protection Clause and Due Process Clause of the Fourteenth Amendment. In one group of plaintiffs, and see there, uh, there's, there's where we ought to debate that because I can go all over the Fourteenth Amendment. Well, all right, well we can, but let me keep reading. And one group of plaintiffs right. also brought claims under the Civil Rights Act. In all cases, the trial court found in favor of the plaintiffs. The U.S. Court of Appeals and the Sixth Circuit reversed and held the state's bans on same-sex marriage and refusal to recognize marriages uh, performed in other states did not violate the couple's Fourteenth Amendment rights to equal protection and due process. So that's when it went to the Supreme Court. Yeah. Well, A, 14th Amendment is totally irrelevant. B, the full faith and credit clause of the Constitution covered gay marriage. All we had to do was have one state. As soon as one state allowed marriage between gay couples, then the full faith and credit clause of the Constitution covered it. And that was my argument too, to, you know, when I was really in the into Facebook and then arguing politics on there. It's like this is it's you know Massachusetts was it Massachusetts or Hawaii went first at that point under the full faith and credit clause, and I think it's Article Six or is it Article Four? Might be Article Four, but the full faith and credit clause. But and that's what. But see, they didn't. You know, the left didn't want that. And you know why, Garrett? Because if you argue the full faith and credit clause on the marriage license, you know, in Massachusetts for a gay company, a gay company, gay cu- a couple, then now my, my uh, concealed weapon permit is, is uh, it's a state-issued permit. It's a state-issued license. Excuse me, I got the hiccups again. 
and and under the full faith and credit clause, now I can go to New York with my Wyoming concealed carry license, and it's a state issued license. And under the full faith and credit clause, they have to honor. Well, yeah, it's the same reason why my Florida driver's license works in Wyoming. Well, precisely. Yeah, and here's and here's, your, here's the and actual your Iowa uh, marriage license is is uh, you know full. You, you guys are still married in Iowa or in Florida. Well, I have a Florida, I have a Florida marriage license. Oh, but, but oh, oh, I forgot. You have two <laughs> of them, don't you? Uh, no, because we only got legally married once. <laughs> but here's here's the actual Supreme Court decision. So it was a five to four decision. Um, the yeas were Ken or the 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 four were Kennedy, Ginsburg, uh, Breyer, Sotomayor, and Kagan, and then of course the uh, against were Roberts, Scalia, Thomas, and Alito, which were all the conservative justices. Um, what did Thomas or Scalia say? How did they argue against it? Well, let me see. Um, so Chief Justice John G. Roberts Jr. wrote a dissent in which he argued that while same-sex marriage might be good and fair policy, the Constitution does not address it, and therefore it's beyond the purview of the court to decide whether states have to recognize or license such unions. Instead, oh, okay. this issue should be decided by individual state legislatures based on the will of their electorates. The constitutional and, judi and judicial precedent clearly protect a right to marry and require states to apply laws regarding marriage equally. But the court cannot overstep its bounds and engage in judicial policymaking. Gee, John, why didn't you use that uh, when you were uh, ruling on Obamacare? Whole other conversation. <laughs> well, it goes on. Um, the precedents regarding the right to marry only strike down unconstitutional limitations on marriage as it has been traditionally defined in government intrusions. And therefore, there is no precedential support for making a state alter its definition of marriage. Chief Justice Roberts also argued that the majority opinion relied on an overly expansive reading of the Due Process and Equal Protection Clause of the 14th Amendment without engaging with the judicial analysis traditionally applied to such claims and while disregarding the proper role of the courts in the democratic process. Perfect. Yeah, I couldn't have said anything better. The dissent is much longer than the, the opinion. Yeah, the dissent's well. like five paragraphs long. Yeah, and see, and I, even though I agree with Roberts, what he said, um, the essence of the Supreme Court saying, yeah, these people have a right to marry. We don't care. I mean, I, I, that, that's exactly how I felt. But using the 14th, see, the magical 14th Amendment, I mean, again, we could have a, we could talk for five hours on the 14th Amendment, how it's been misused. Well, and again, you have to go to the ratification debates of the 14th Amendment. The 14th Amendment, the Due Process Clause, and Equal Protection Under the Law was specifically written for newly freed slaves. Nothing about that amendment applied to anything or anybody else. It was written to give slaves, newly freed by the 13th Amendment, citizenship and due process as American citizens. And to sit there and use that every time you turn around, I mean, Roe v. Wade! They're, they quoted the due process clause and and the uh, um, um, well sixth amendment and the well and the fourth no fourth amendment and the due process clause of the fourteenth amendment they they utilize that as uh, reasoning to uh, mandate that states scrape people's babies and the intent at the time that they were written 
had nothing to do with anything like that. I used to listen to Mike Church on Sirius Satellite Radio. Great, I mean, constitutional scholar, big time. And and if he didn't know something, he had Kevin Gutsman, who is probably my favorite uh, constitutional scholar in regards to original intent in the country. And uh, I mean, they they point out the magical fourteenth all the time. I mean, everything comes back to the fourteenth. Everything. Yeah. Well, and here, like, the Fourteenth Amendment was written specifically to give newly freed slaves rights of due process and and uh, full protection and equal protection under the law as yeah. you and I have. Well, and here here are the facts of the case. So I, I've been pulling up these decisions. So in 1970, Jane Roe, a fictional name used in court documents to protect the plaintiff's identity, filed a lawsuit against Henry Wade, the district attorney of Dallas County, Texas, where she resided, challenging a Texas law making abortion illegal except by a doctor's order to save a woman's life. In her lawsuit, Roe alleged that the state laws were unconstitutionally vague and abridged her right of personal privacy protected by the 1st, 4th, 5th, 9th, and 14th Amendments. And then here is the opinion. There's no dissent. I don't know why it won't show me the dissent. Um, Inherent in the due process clause of the 14th Amendment is a fundamental right to privacy, in quotes, that protects a pregnant woman's choice whether to have an abortion. However, this right is balanced against the government's interest in protecting women's health and protecting the potential, the potential, that's a, that's a word never read. The potentiality of human life. The Texas law challenged in this case violated this right. Justice Harry Blackman uh, delivered the opinion for the 7-2 majority of the court. First, the court considered whether the case was moot, concluding that it was not. When the subject of litigation is capable of repetition yet evading review, a case need not be dismissed as moot. Pregnancy is a, classi- a classic justification for a conclusion of non-mooted, non-mootness. Oh, well, that's interesting. So here's where it gets into it. The Due Process Clause of the 14th Amendment protects against state action the right to privacy, and a woman's right to choose to have an abortion falls within that right to privacy. A state law that broadly prohibits abortion without respect to the, state of pr- the stage of pregnancy or any or other interests violates that right. Although the state has legitimate interests in protecting the health of pregnant women and the potentiality of human life, the relative weight of each of these interests varies over the course of the pregnancy, and the law must account for this variability. So to me, that means nothing. No, it's, it's a word salad. Yeah, I mean, it, I mean how are you... And, th- it, and it leaves open for, like, uh, North Dakota really uh, restricted abortion down to... Uh, I think if you're over 20 weeks, you can't have an abortion. And, of course, they've been fighting that. And, and, and it leaves it clearly leaves open. It's like, hey, the state legislatures can come together and say, all right, we don't like it, but, you know, an 11-week um, fetus. I hate the term fetus now because they just bastardized it. But an 11-week gestation fetus probably doesn't uh, feel much pain and suffering probably has no sense yet i mean and i'm i don't necessarily agree with that but i'm just saying you could sit there and intellectually come in and say and basically say hey look you get knocked up don't wait till your second or third trimester get it done in the first month well and it goes on it goes on to talk about that in the first trimester of pregnancy the state may not regulate the abortion decision only the pregnant woman and her attending physician can make that decision in the second trimester, the state may impose regulations on abortion that are reasonably related to maternal health. Yes. In the third trimester, once a fetus reaches the point of viability, in quotes, 
A state may regulate abortions or prohibit them entirely, so long as the laws contain exceptions for cases when abortion is necessary to save the life or the health of the mother. Yes, and a lot of people don't realize that, that Roe says that. Well, you know, what a lot of people don't know, realize about like Roe v. Wade is that Roe v. Wade, if it is overturned, does not make abortion illegal across the country. All Roe v. Wade did was say that states have to, um, that basically every state has to um, provide some sort provide. of, of, of yeah. abortion, you know, uh, some sort of, in quotes, women's reproductive uh, medical care. Yeah. That's all and it see, did. See, that's word salad, too, you know. And, well, and, and I was, I was deliberately is, making it a word salad. Is, you know, the preamble, what's that? I was deliberately making it a word, a word salad. Right, right. But, and, and, but the fact of the matter is, the preamble to our founding talks about inalienable rights, and you can't have any uh, pursuit of happiness or liberty if you don't have life. And yeah. I think it makes it clear because it says life, liberty, pursuit of happiness. All men are, you know, and yes, I realize it says men, but at the time... And, and generally, man, you know, mankind is humans. Well, you don't have to explain that to me. Of course, I understand that. Right. But <clears throat> basically what the Constitution says is people have a right to exist. And in their right to exist, they should be unencumbered by government in order to succeed and pursue happiness. I mean, that's essentially what it's saying. You know, and because government... and. and the pros of the day, well, and when they wrote it, it was, it was written directly in regards to their experience at the time. You know, I mean, King George, could, if he wanted your daughter to marry his son, and I don't know if he had any sons, I'm just saying, if he wanted your daughter, he'd come to your house and maybe he'd offer you a pig or, or some <laughs> fruit baskets or whatever for her, but he didn't have to. He'd come in and say, you know what, we're going to make her a princess. And, uh, you know, just because I'm taking her from you, I'm going to, I'm going to be, uh, I'm going to be, uh, nice and, and graceful and you'll be the Duke of, um, frog jump, Tennessee. <laughs> <laughs> you bring it back Tennessee. But, uh, you know, it's, uh, and so and that was the thing. And so at the time they were speaking out against the fact that, you know what, you have a right to self-determination. And in order to have that, you have a right to exist first. And so, any uh, the two things about Roe that are that are absolutely unconstitutional and out of the Article Three purview of the uh, of the federal government and, and of the Supreme Court are a the marginalization of human life and b mandating that somebody provide that service for you. And, you know, well, what do you want, Joel coat hangers in the alley? And it's like, well, hey, you know, I've been around the block. I've seen some reality. I was a paramedic for over 20 years, worked in law enforcement, okay? There's ugly out there. And if you want to get rid of your baby so bad, you know, we're going to try to protect life as a, as a society, and, and we're not going to marginalize human life like Mao did like Genghis Khan did, like Hitler did, like Stalin did, like Lenin did, like Castro and Che Guevara did, like Pol Pot did. We're not going to marginalize human life. So we're going to just set a mandate that unless a, a woman's life is in jeopardy, you know, abortion on demand is illegal. 
And I think that's reasonable. I think that is um, civilized, <laughs> you know? Well, you and I, because we've done it in the past, can have a whole you know podcast about abortion. But let's tie this right. in to the whole reason we actually started the podcast to begin with. You and I, as people who agree on some things and disagree on others, like the Dred Scott decision, can have these conversations and then... You just read it. It just told you everything I just told you about it, mm-hmm. other than I had my states wrong. Interrupt me. This is the American ethos with Garrett Carlston. You know, sometimes I allow you to come on here. Let me finish my point, huh? Oh, for crying out loud. All right, son, go ahead. But you and I can have these conversations and then still go on and, 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 you know, go about our day. But you get on social media and you get on any of these media sites and people have these conversations and they're screaming at each other and it's like no one can come to a common ground. You know, I've, I've, been, I've been overseas in, in Guam and Singapore and the Philippines, and I've drank with the locals, and, and we have conversations where we disagree adamantly, and at the end of the day, we're all just, I mean, we're just hanging out. We're having fun. We're enjoying each other's companies, or enjoying each other's company. And people, I, I, I feel like people are just so enamored with everything that's going on on their phones and social media and the, and the mainstream news that they don't think that exists anymore. Yeah, well, etiquette has gone out the window. You know, I mean, uh, we when I was a kid, we had a big family, and every holiday, you know, there was sometimes between fifteen and thirty people there. And all the adults, and I, you know, I was like the only kid. I was the, the only Carlston under forty at one time, <laughs> and you know, and I was like nine. And I, you know, but I and I sat and I was around adults all the time. I, the first, you know, twelve years of my life, and. You know, you, you sit there and you watch and you and you um, you absorb how people interact. And I can remember times where my dad and my grandfather clearly vehemently disagreed about something. But my grand, my dad had such respect for his dad. He made his point known. Grandpa acknowledged it. Uh, clearly uh, explained or inferred why he respected it but this is why we went you know and it was just a gentlemanly thing yeah and 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 you know, we, they we were hearing all that etiquette nowadays well and and people have lost going to your etiquette point people have lost that etiquette to on how to react when they hear opposing opinions like there are yeah. cur- there are families currently being broken up over this election I'm voting for Donald Trump. Why? Did you hear about, I don't mean to interrupt, did you hear, I've, Rush talked about it, Levin talked about it. Are you going to talk about Don People Lemon? calling, huh? Are you going to talk about Don Lemon going on CNN or, and saying that he No, is, uh, I don't even acknowledge the existence of that. All right, we'll go ahead. Yet. I'm sorry, I interrupted but, you. Um, uh, well, just people calling in, you know, hey, I'm 63 years old, I've been a lifelong Republican, I really find the current administration really trying to help us. My son, on the other hand, is this, and he says, uh, I'm not bringing my kids over. I'm not bringing your grandkids over because you're supporting Trump. Yeah, that, I mean, can you believe that? Well, there is a woman that actively tries to silence Ben Shapiro and get Ben Shapiro taken off the, um, getting taken off the air because her son listens to Ben Shapiro. I mean, just because he has a different opinion than his mother. I mean, and his mother wrote like some column about how she would rather her son be dead than listen to Ben Shapiro. 
what us can you imagine anything like that for crying out loud? Those people are ill, Garrett. I mean, it's not a joke to say liberalism is a mental disorder. It's evil. It's an incestuous. Well, let's be deliberate in our language. That is not liberalism. Evil. That is leftism. I can have a very yeah, good and progressivism. Pro- you're right. I can have a yeah. very good and productive conversation with a liberal, <sighs> but that is leftism. That is Marx. That is Marxism. That is Leninist. That is. I mean, that is leftism. Yeah, progressivism. Make no mistake, progressivism is the hard Marxist Leninism. I don't even know if Leninism is anything. Stalinism. <laughs> I don't think Lenin went around murdering people to the extent that Stalin or Mao did. You know, I mean, those people were willing to cut your throat to silence you. Cut your throat to silence you or cut your wife or child's throat in front of you to silence you or wipe out the whole family to make a statement to the rest of the community. That's the evil that progressivism is. Well, and and Ben Shapiro's got a great new book, and he 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 calls them uh, he calls them disintegrationists. So, what does that mean? They want to tear down the founding of the country because of their viewpoints and because of all the stuff that we're talking about right now. So, I have an excerpt from the book that I want to you know that I want to read, and it says the disintegrationist okay. worldview poses a provocative and seducing alternative. This, the, disint, the disintegrationist worldview rejects the idea of individual rights deriving from human nature and reason. Instead, dis, disintegrationists suggest that human beings are innately malleable, that human nature is unfixed, and that it is therefore impossible to derive universal individual rights from a nature that simply doesn't exist. Instead, dis, disintegrationists posit that social changes can remake the very nature of man. So these people... These people want to, they basically want to use government and use um, the society to try to change human nature, I guess, is what yeah. I'm trying to get at. There are two things that, that pop into mind. Ben Shapiro is a thousand times smarter than me. <laughs> huh? I, mean, I cannot articulate things like he can. But the second thing is, is, these people have not thought out the logical conclusion here. And that's the thing. It's like, what do they want? We have the... we Everything in the United States is better than anywhere else on the planet. And you can clearly go out... I don't care, Garrett. It can start with selling ice cream, and then you decide that, hey, this is something I want to do, and you go out and make your own brand of ice cream, and if people like it, you can be wealthy beyond belief. Or a guy can simply learn how to hook up uh, heating and air conditioning and put together a small business of his own and really do well. Look at your brother-in-law. The guy's a good carpenter. But he, and he can build stuff, and he's a great finished carpenter. And, you know, he's put in, well, him and your sister have been married five years now, and he's been doing it for a few years beforehand. He's in his mid-30s. Realistically, within 10 or 15 years, he could be on paper a millionaire and be putting together big buildings. And, you know, he'd have to hire an architect. I think that'd be, uh, you know, skyscrapers beyond his. But, you know, Donald Trump's not a 
architect, but Donald Trump builds big buildings. He's, you know, he's a builder. I mean, uh, and the point I'm trying to make is, so from humble beginnings and just working and just always trying to grow a little bit here and a little bit there and taking on more challenge, I mean, you can do anything you want. You can't do that anywhere else on the planet. And someone, some people are going to, uh, you know, correct me. And, oh, Canada can, Great Britain can, and, and maybe that's so, but not to the degree that you can here. Well, I, I, mean, I saw a great... Our history is, is wrought with people with, you know, 7th and 8th grade education. You know, uh, Andrew Carnegie, Carnegie, you know, Henry Ford. I saw a great TikTok. Well, Do you know what TikTok is? <clears throat> Do you know what TikTok is? Oh, yeah. Yeah, of course. Yeah, well, I saw this great video, and it was this guy basically, like, having a conversation with a liberal. And it was the liberal talking about how they need to tax the rich. You know, tax the rich and pay for everyone else. And he basically said, okay, yeah, let's tax the rich. What do you want your tax rate to be? And he's like, well, I, I'm not rich. He goes, well, you make $30,000 a year. Some people in some places make less than 30 cents a year. So you are rich. You, us, as, a, as the American population, the poorest of us, the poorest of us have cell phones. They have cars. They have microwaves and fridges. I mean, unless you're homeless, obviously. But even the homeless have cell phones. I mean, yeah. A homeless man in the in the United States of America still probably has three times the wealth as someone who has a, I don't know, a, a house made out of clay in, I don't know, Africa. Right. Well, yeah, going to Deep South, you know, Alabama, going to Appalachia, you know, I mean, those people are poor. Especially now that Obama killed the coal industry, the one thing that actually brought economic development into their area. But those people are poor. But yet again, they have a roof over their head. I mean, there's people around the world now that find a, a grove of trees or find, you know, a half a cave and build a home out of it because, I mean, they have no economic gain whatsoever. I mean, they're eating bugs. They're drinking water that, you know, upstream from them is somebody else's sewage. I mean, I can't, you know, it's just like arguing about the coal thing. Yeah, I worked for the coal industry for quite some time. But you know what coal is? Coal cleaned water. Coal built schools in sub-Saharan Africa and different countries over there. You know, coal brought energy to places that didn't know what a light bulb was. And, and like I said, cleaned water. You know, the leading, you know, what the leading cause of death in the world today is bad water. Diarrhea, yeah, yeah, well, yeah, bad and, water. And secondary to what? You know, almost all is cholera or you know, amoebic dysentery or whatever. Well, yeah, and these so, people are drinking. Know, these people are drinking water that has just, shit in it, so they they get E. coli. Oh yeah, E. coli is the least of their worries. <laughs> But yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Get me started on Sub-Saharan Africa, and well, that's why you know. I can't get you started on anything else. We're already at an hour and twenty minutes. I gotta cut this thing off before you know we start going down something else. Well, yeah, but this has been one of the most interesting conversations we've had, and I think it's it's too bad that we can't get you on a live thing, and then we can have people call in. Well, we can. I mean, if. You know, if if you want to, people send me an email at AmericanEthosPodcast at gmail dot com. I mean, we can. I have a Facebook page, and and we can have live video chats 
on my Facebook page. It's just a matter of bringing you in to the Facebook page. And that's something that we can definitely well, I don't do. even necessarily mean me. I mean, you do a fine job yourself. But Yeah, well, I mean, talking fun. to someone else helps me organize my thoughts. You don't know how weird it is to talk and organize your thoughts when you're basically just talking in a computer screen, trying to organize what you're trying to say without saying ums, uhs, buts, uh, you know, you know, that kind of stuff. While you're trying to talk, monitor the podcast, make sure your audio is good, look at the, the articles you want. I mean, it's it's rough. So I like having someone on yeah. here to help organize my thoughts. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what, let's call it quits. You ought to call in tomorrow. I'll be on a radio show out of Cheyenne tomorrow. And uh, um, it's kind of a generic conversation. Yeah, I think he just wants to get me on there to, to uh, comment on... Cheyenne just recently uh, trying to get a mask mandate. Well, and, plug uh, it. Plug it right now on the podcast. Tell people where you're going to be on and where they can hear you. Oh, it's real easy. I'll be on KGAB out of Cheyenne on the Doug Randall Show. It comes on at uh, 11 o'clock uh, Mountain Time. So that'd be... Uh, it'd be 9 o'clock Florida. Eastern. Yeah, it'd be, it'd be uh, 1 o'clock Eastern. And then if you're in the Midwest, it's at noon. And then if you're, you know, Pacific, you're, it's, uh, and, and, uh, it's a pretty good little show. Um, this guy, uh, Randall does a pretty good job and we have a real good one here in Casper too. The, the, uh, you can get on a, uh, K2 radio, uh, get the app and listen to Glenn Woods during the weekdays. And actually Doug does a week, a weekday show out of Cheyenne, but I'm working, so I, he gets me on the uh, weekend. You know, you should start the Joel Carlston sure. show. It, it it took me all of about $25 to start this. Uh, Adam said the same thing. Your brother-in-law said the same thing. <laughs> does he listen? Does Adam listen to this? No, he said I should do... Well, he said I should oh, start. Thanks, you know Adam. how many mush heads have become critically acclaimed, I don't know, opinion journalists? Because they, they started um, blogs. Yeah, Chank Uger. I hate that stupid man. I mean, he is the dumbest human being I've ever met in my life. Oh, I don't know. Ezra Klein's close. Or, um, oh, God, who's the senator out of Hawaii? Maisie Hirono. She oh. is stupid. Oh, my God, is she dumb. The fact that she is in the does Senate she, blows my mind. Does she have, she don't have a, does she have a podcast or something? No, but her Twitter might as well. Her, her Twitter might as well be a podcast. Oh yeah, and she's always on. She's always on CNN and ABC and MSN. You know MSN D, MSDNC. You know that stuff. Yeah, MSKGB. <laughs> yeah, Donald Trump called um, MSNBC MSDNC, and I mm, chuckled a little bit. That's funny. Yeah. Well, but, yeah, that comes right out of Mark Levin. Yeah, but okay, it's time we get off here, Dan. All right, well, hey, it's always fun. Uh, yeah, find me on uh, the KGBA or KGAB app. You get on the, uh, uh, it's only a thousand watt radio station out of Cheyenne, so get on the website, uh, click on Listen Live, and uh, um, there I'll be. Yeah, or you can get on the app, KGB. It's uh, They've got an app, KGB, and, and it, it's exact same thing. It's, it's really nice. That's how I listen to you, so. Yeah, KGAB. Oh, KGAB. Oh, my bad. Yeah, it shows yeah. you how much I listen. <laughs> yeah, that's okay. Well, all right. Good night. Good, good.
get to bed. You, it's probably it's later there. So yeah. Well, don't forget. I'll talk to you later. Yeah, before before you leave here, don't forget subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Radio Public, wherever you can find podcasts. I'm on there. Subscribe on there. Follow me on Twitter at Ethos Podcast. Um, you can follow him on Twitter. What what's your Twitter handle? I'm uh, suspended at the moment, but uh, at J Carlson sixty five. Yeah, and you can follow him yeah, on just Twitter. Look, yeah, just look up Joel Carlston and I'll be there. Yeah, I think I'm on Twitter as American Ethos, not Ethos Podcast. Um, you can follow my Facebook page, American Ethos Podcast Facebook page. You can also follow the Anchor uh, link that I will post the podcast on, and you can send me a video message that we can put on the podcast. There's all kinds of different things that you can do. Um, if you want to talk about anything we say on the podcast, you can email me at AmericanEthosPodcast at gmail.com. Um, you can message me on Facebook, Garrett Carlston. I say it every day. Um, but that's, I think that's all we got. Yeah. And uh, you know what, if you can put two sentences together, come on and argue. Oh yeah. I'd love to have someone on here to argue with us. Well, or maybe, you know, debate, debate sensibly and, uh, let's, uh, let's, um, prove me wrong. Prove Garrett wrong. Well, that's another thing. I mean, I've had plenty of conservatives on here. I've even had, you know, vice presidential candidate Spike Cohen on here. And, you know, we, we've always had great conversations. I've had a, uh, a member of the Boogaloo Boys, which is a group that protects the rights of people to protest. I've had all kinds of people on, and I'm always, I'm always, I'm actually uh, plan on having Doug on here. No, uh, I've been, Doug. I've been in contact with him to have him on here. Doug Randall. Yeah. Oh, good. That'd be awesome. Okay. Yeah. But that's all we got that's for you, it. folks. All right, I'll tell you young, uh, and I'll hook you up with Glenn Wood, if you know him. Yeah, I'll see you, Thank you for listening to this episode of the American Ethos Podcast. Feel free to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Also, these opinions are mine and mine only, and were not expressed on behalf of the United States Navy or Department of Defense. Thank you very much. See you next time.